Hey folks, welcome to The Well with Shan, and I am very excited to introduce the founder of Every Valley Leadership Academy, Mr. Ron Lowe himself. And Ron, uh, I, everywhere I turn, you end up in the same circle. I, we, we just end up in the same place. <laughs> all the time. I don't know how that happens, but it's probably an indication of um, having a similar heart and some similar passions. And so it's a real pleasure for for you to be here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, I would love for us just to start by you explaining what in the world is Every Valley Leadership. Um, tell us about the scripture that it originated from, a little bit about uh, its its origin and uh, the, the passion behind it, and just give our listening audience a, an introduction. Okay. Thank you. And um, our mission is to lift up the valleys of Chattanooga's young people, uh, especially teenagers and young adults, and uh, we lift them up with a message of hope and an experience of God's glory. So, ten or so years ago, the city of Chattanooga was. Um, concerned about issues with young people and gangs and uh, there was a spike in violence committed by the gangs. Um, there had been gang issues before but at that this point they were recruiting younger and younger kids and um, just a lot of problems associated with that uh, and they wanted to sort of see what was driving it and they wanted to engage the community. Um, they identified the uh, youth and family development centers, the rec centers in town as uh, places that both offered a lot of resources for kids, a place to go after school in the summer, to be involved in productive activities. Um, but there was also some things going on in the neighborhoods around the centers where gang members would recruit the kids mm. when they got bored, which is most of the time, and uh, just entice them with promises um, that wound up getting them in a lot of trouble. So. Um, Johnny Garth, a good friend of mine, uh, had a similar vision around the same time hmm. to go to the center in his neighborhood, which was Washington Hills, and offer, offer a Bible study. Um, and this was something I had a passion for 10 years previous. Uh, there was a concern about young people and some violent activities in two neighborhoods in particular. And there was a Christian group of funders who wanted to invest in something that would have a long-term impact on um, curbing the violence and giving the kids more productive things and introducing them with Christ. Wonderful. So I got to go and talk to school officials, the police, um, neighborhood associations, uh, nonprofit organizations, and I was really struck by the work that's being done by the rec centers. I didn't realize how many kids are utilizing them. Uh, school buses let out there, so there are hundreds mm. of kids at these 17 centers every there's, single day. I, I was going to ask you, there's 17 of them? Yes. Okay, I didn't know yes. that. And so um, my recommendation was for the foundation to invest in programs to take place where the kids already are instead of recruiting them to go somewhere else or to do something very foreign and unfamiliar to them, let's go and, and meet real needs that they are aware of and bring the gospel with us, bring Christ with us. Mm. They chose not to go that route and they built a Christian um, recreation facility that 
is wonderful and, and a lot of people make use of it, but not the kids that um, need, really needed the so, attention. So the demographic um, didn't hit that group of folks with that particular institution. Right. Okay. So that's a little bit about Every Valley, the the history of how it's set up. Now you, let's pause for just a second. You are an educator. You are seminary trained. Tell us just a little bit about who you are, and then we're going to jump back into Every Valley. It's kind of a weird meandering journey, but <laughs> you can um, give a brief rendition. Yeah, I studied uh, political science as undergrad, and knew about halfway through I didn't want to. Anything related to that. This was not for you. Yeah, so, but I finished the degree and then I um, had gotten involved with Campus Crusade for Christ in college Mm -hmm. and um, developed a passion for evangelism. I had grown up in a non Christian family, met Christ at a small uh, church uh, in East Chattanooga, actually. And, um, you know, they trained me well, they gave me a, a desire to evangelize, but I didn't have the tools or practical ways to. Um, try it out. So in in college, um, some of my friends from high school, many of them were um, either not Christian or just nominal Christian. They went off to school and they came back on break and said that they were about to go to Daytona Beach to share Christ with strangers oh, <laughs> on the beach. Lovely. And I could never have seen them doing that before. Yes. And I said, okay, who's put you up to this? How did you get connected? I want to know about this. So uh, they sent a staff member down and started a ministry at UTC of Campus Crusade. I was a student at UTC. And um, just the training and the experience of going with uh, people to introduce people to Christ was just life transforming. Um, and I went on staff with the high school branch. Um, I'd worked at a camp and felt called to teenagers and to um, work with them and introduce them to Christ. So I went on staff with the high school ministry and work with middle and high school students. And um, along the way, I felt I needed more training, especially in apologetics. I was working with some pretty high, um, high-level academics at some of the private schools. And so I, I wanted to continue with that, and so I got the training in apologetics. And I uh, got somewhat interested in, in working with college students and maybe teaching college um, and maybe pursuing a PhD or something like that. That didn't work out. I did get to teach as an adjunct mm-hmm. uh, at UTC in Chattanooga State uh, in cultural history and enjoyed that, loved it, and you know thought I would continue in that direction. Also have a passion for helping kids get up to speed academically. I saw a lot of kids not ready to succeed when they got to school and having to drop out after a semester. So I did a little bit as a, as a teacher, but it's really hard to give a lot of one-on-one time when you have hundreds of students and papers to grade. So I actually started a tutoring company to help kids get better prepared for college. So we did ACT prep, uh, subject tutoring. I had a great team of teachers who you know, specialized in different subjects. And that was just a blessing. And it kind of got me back to my family roots and starting a business and being entrepreneurial and got connected with the Chamber of Commerce and things like that. And then Johnny comes along and says, I'm gonna lead a Bible study with kids joining gangs and I said I want to go with you so we were doing it tutoring was my tip making mm. to be able to do this and then they were both very consuming activities and it became hard to do both and some friends of Johnny came along and said um, we want to form you as a nonprofit. we tried to avoid that we think it's just something that citizens should do to invest in these kids but um, they, they said we want to 
give people an opportunity to support you so that you can devote more time to this. We think God is at work, and um, so that was really encouraging. So we've been a nonprofit for four years, and uh, I work part-time for the city of Chattanooga as well as an academic coach mm-hmm. at the rec centers. So mm-hmm. God's... So you yeah. are no longer at Academic Solutions? No, I closed that in 2017 uh, when Every Valley became a nonprofit, and okay. they... Um, Johnny and I, uh, neither one of us are uh, administrators, but I think they determined that I was slightly less bad at it than him. (laughs) And so they said, you're going to be the director. Uh, Johnny will be community relations and and, uh, development and things like that. So he works with the kids quite a bit, but I do more of the day-to-day work with the kids and do the administrative stuff with a lot of help. We have a great board and some good volunteers to help with that. Okay, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. So that kind of lays out the foundation of, of what this work looks like. Um, tell me just a little bit of what the profile is of the kid that you're working with in, in terms of the community, in terms of the family life, and, and in terms of kind of the personal things going on with them. Well, so a wide age range that we are kind of coming in contact with uh, you know, late elementary school all the way up through uh, young adults in their 20s. Um, but it kind of focuses in the middle of that with middle and high school students. Um, you know, Johnny and I went to offer the resources just to share our lives where we already were. So I brought my education um, and my teaching and tutoring experience to bear because the city wanted to do more academic support at the centers. So we, we kind of came along at the right time. And so, um, you know, a lot of the kids getting off the buses are in that middle and high school age range. It's also a very, you know, turbulent time and time where a lot of things about their future are determined. Mm. Um, And so um, I saw God working years ago um, with middle class suburban kids. um, And I didn't have a lot of experience with uh, urban youth, but... I knew that kids were kids, Uh, they respond to people who care, Mm. and um, people who have something to offer and who believe in them, and so I trusted God and uh, asked Him to use me, and it's been a pretty good uh, partnership. The kids, um, you know, the two centers we focused on, Washington Hills and East Chattanooga, are somewhat different. Washington Hills really isn't a a suburb, so they're more uh, middle class, but mostly African American kids are the ones that go to the centers. Um, so a lot of people see me with the kids and they think, here's the white guy trying to go <laughs> save the black kids yeah. and make them like him or something like that. Mm. And I really just had a passion for the rec centers and the center directors have been trying to get churches to come, say these kids need Christ, evangelize them, disciple them. I didn't know that there were black kids till I got there and there they were. <clears throat> and I said, well, God wants me to work with them. So I've had a lot of learning. Uh, to do and a lot of listening I've, I've done and I've made a whole lot of mistakes. Sure. Continue to do that. Uh, there's a lot of cross-cultural uh, baggage and issues that has to be sorted through. I've had to go back and study the history to understand some of it and relate to the parents and the, uh, the adults in the community. Building trust with them is really hard. You know, young kids, um, they'll come and listen to you and have no problems, but as they get older, yeah, it takes more time to build trust, even with the teenagers. Um, mm-hmm. They've already had some bad experiences uh, racially, socioeconomically. Um, East Chattanooga has a lot higher rate of poverty, and 
so there's a difference even um, among the kids socioeconomically, uh, not only racially. So, um, so I, I love the tone you're setting because you're recognizing that in this cross-cultural ministry, it's not that you're just bringing Jesus to these folks. I mean, you've got a lot of learning to do. You you have a lot of cultural context to learn. You're doing a lot of listening and growing in order to really connect and build trust and, and, and the time that's taken. And I know it's been effective because I hear these guys call you grandpa and uncle and <laughs> Daddy Ron and all kinds of things. Um, so clearly they are bonding very tight with you. I've heard multiple ones say that you've saved their life. Others who said they couldn't get to college without the work you've done. So the Lord has clearly used you. Um, so the demographics you've described um, and some of the issues there, uh, culturally speaking, tell me a little bit about the the familial piece or some of the impact of poverty that you see on the community? Well, um, I think Chattanooga has uh, higher rates of poverty than many cities its size. Um, some of it just seems intractable and multi-generational. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned more about uh, the structural features of that and the role that segregated schools have played in that are continuing uh, segregated schools and um, you know so I look at the personal issues and I deal with them on a personal basis but I've learned more and more about um, the obstacles that I was just blind to that they have to jump through and um, the privileges I took for granted uh, that are not there for some of these kids mm. um, the stigmas that they have to uh, overcome and that mm-hmm. I've seen them you know, followed in stores by managers. I've seen uh, law enforcement treat them disrespectfully. Um, and just people have the, you know, they just misunder- misunderstand them. They don't listen to them. And so the listening piece is is key. And it's, it's key in evangelism. You know, their struggles and their questions are not what um, the Christian circles I was in told me they were. Uh, they don't. They've never heard of things like evolution. They, they're nowhere near being an atheist. They haven't considered abortions, um, and so there are just a lot of other issues that they're more concerned. And they can't articulate it. But I would say two big ones, and they're the ones I think that draw people into gangs are the need for belonging mm-hmm. uh, to family and to a, a grand vision of what the world is all about and the role they play in it. So, so if I may restate that, to belong to something bigger than myself that gives me significance. Yes. Okay. Yes, and that's where the glory of God comes in. And um, so the, that, uh, the, the need for belonging and the need to uh, really to taste God's goodness and greatness. Mm. Um, that's how I've seen, I've looked through the Bible on, on the topic of glory, and I think a lot of people are fuzzy about it, but... It's a, a kind of a breaking through of a sense of God's greatness. Um, he is greater than we than we know. Um, he he we underestimate him all the time, and many people in their situation feel like he's abandoned them. And this is Israel's uh, lot in Babylon in Isaiah 40, is that they had been there, they were experiencing God's justice for their sin, um, and they f- were brokenhearted. They um, 
felt like God had abandoned them. And God had to remind them through Isaiah of how great a God he is. And not just a, a distant greatness. There's no one greater than God. There's nothing can rival his power. But he is a good God. He is a caring God. Um, there's no God like this who takes the personal attention and love. You know, his arm is mighty to save. His arm is mighty to defend. But his arm draws his lambs close to his bosom and cares for them and assures them. The chapter starts out with, uh, you know, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her warfare is ended. Uh, she is uh, pardoned for her sin. She's received double for her sin. So, uh, and then just lifting their visions. And I'm going to address the injustices. You've been treated unjustly. And so um, you've gone through a lot of valleys. I'm going to lift those up. You've, you've had barriers to where you want to go. I'm going to bring those down. Uh, we're going to straighten up the crooked places, smooth out the rough places. When those things happen and you sense how good God is, how much he cares, mm. um, then God reveals his glory and all flesh will see it together. It's public. Um, and so when God does this to people and he redeems them, and he, he draws them and brings justice to them, people see that. People, And God becomes famous for that. He, he, um, you know, he says, get up on a high mountain and shout this to my people. Behold your God. This is who he is. And, um, and uh, when pe- people see that, that draws them to the Savior, when they see the amazing things he's done, that's happened throughout history. And because those things are left undone in a lot of neighborhoods in our city, people are blinded to God's glory. Um, mm. They forget how great he is and how good he is. Um, and then when they start to see it, when, when they have people coming into their lives, um, who, who are going to stay. The rec center directors told us uh, some Christian groups have come in before and had had an agenda and tried to implement it. It didn't work, and they left. They said, um, it's only going to work if you stay. Even if not many kids come, keep coming. The consistency, mm-hmm. the constancy, the mm-hmm. trust, the security. And the presence. Brings. Yeah, the ministry mm-hmm. of presence has been huge. So they know... Um, They know you'll be there because you're so passionate and have such a vision for the glory that you're speaking of. And Ron, as you lay it out, and I've heard that little sermonette that you just gave many, many times, but every time it inspires me because it is so glorious that nihilism can be overcome with this from uh, this nothing matters I don't care you know if I get a little money in my hand I'll either be robbed or I've got to spend it because you know all of this immediacy that it can be overcome with with a vision of the glory of God and I just love the way the scripture lays it out and the way that you have tasted and seen for yourself and then given that vision to, to others Now, you just mentioned something that kind of takes us down its own topic, and it's about the consistency of presence and this notion called social capita. And 
you know, I know that if if I need a plumber or if I need a good electrician or if I need a lawyer to talk to, the first place I'm going to think through is my church membership role. <laughs> who, who am I friends with in this big church that I'm a part of that has the resources to help me out? And I'll just give them a quick phone call. But what if you do? What do you do if you're, if you're in a, not, not a member of a church or not a member of a community that has those kinds of resources? Now, one thing that, you know, Tori and I talked about is the neighborhoods have more resources than sometimes than you think. Um, I know I got an education on the shoe lady who come in and all kinds of, the, they being at the barber shop and hearing the beautiful community inside the barber shop and all the, uh, you know, in my time with, with KD, um, and, and watching something up on the screen that was actually playing down at the movie theater. So there are resources, but not necessarily, um, everything that's needed. Um, and I, I just want to hear you extrapolate on that. Like, what does that look like and how huge is that for these folks? Um, basic. You know, definition I gave to a group a few days ago was um, it, it's assets that can be utilized to solve problems, uh, advance yourself economically or career-wise or in whatever way. Um, and so uh, everybody has it um, and needs to be made aware of the assets they have. Uh, they are gifts from God. Um, and it includes material things, but also relationships and things like education and cultural exposure and all that. So to be aware of that and what they can contribute so that they're not just recipients of charity, but they are um, working to develop themselves, develop leadership just by being that kind of uh, aware of their own resources. Uh, but also to recognize that uh, different communities that live very close together in our city do not have access to the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so to uh, bring them, to, some of them have not been outside their neighborhood or an adjacent neighborhood. I tell the story of the uh, rec center staff who took the kids uh, to uh, across the river to a recreation facility and they'd never been across the Tennessee River. And they said, are we going to an island? Where, where are we going here? Um, the kids at the foot of Missionary Ridge have never been on top of Missionary Ridge. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes they, they, they've been places, but they haven't uh, been exposed to opportunities in education, um, you know, to uh, talk to business people. And so I, I'm trying to, you know, get my network involved with the kids and get my kids involved in the network. The way we do that is, you know, we go to them at the centers, but then they come with us, you know, with their parents' permission or as an adult. I just take them with me. I, I do a lot of things in the, in the community and education and uh, with the Chamber of Commerce and UTC. And so I just take them with me. They need, you know, I didn't have exposure to some of that. I needed people to, to, to introduce uh, me to some of those things. And so I can, you know, first generation college student, I, I didn't know, is it for me? I, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I had a guidance counselor, ninth grade, said, you're going. <laughs> There's no questions. And here's what you need to do to get there. So, you know, expanding their vision and then showing them the steps it takes to get there. The, the extended families are a big resource. 
uh, in, in these communities. Um, a lot of parents are juggling many things. Uh, some of the uh, nuclear families are broken, but there's a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents that step in. So um, I think the white community kind of misunderstands this brokenness of the family. Um, it's just that it can be reconstructed in really incredible uh, ways, and that's even a biblical principle that when, when there's a family is broken, the body of Christ becomes family, mm-hmm. not in a presumptuous way, but um, we are all things to all people, so we might win some. So if they need me to be a dad, I don't presume to do that, but, and I wouldn't want everyone to call me that, but that's the relationship, that's it. If they just need an uncle or a tutor um, or you know, a business person trying to show them some things, mm-hmm. um, just whatever uh, they need is what I want you know, try to, try to be to them. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's really good. Now, you, with the presumption word, you're kind of leading us um, to this concept that because we might not be fully aware of um, the, the broader, for instance, what you just said, the extended family, or because we might not be aware of cultural norms that's different than our own, we can kind of come in with um, feelings of superiority and, and uh, feel like we know what we're doing. And there's uh, a friend in our circle who has written a book called When Helping Hurts. Um, what would you say are some of the common fallacies or some of the common ways that uh, specifically a white middle class person could come in and actually hurt a situation instead of help? Well, um, one thing is uh, we come in and we don't listen first. We assume we have solutions. We assume we know what their problems are and we assume that we have the solutions. And we don't listen, we don't research. So that's true in evangelism. We, we really don't know what their issues are that can connect them to the gospel. But also in relieving uh, poverty or you know, bringing some kind of healing to, to any kind of relational brokenness. Uh, trauma and things like that. Uh, we just have to do a lot of listening, uh, provide some some relief when it's when it's needed, um, and it, you're really doing what parents have to do, which is to give all the support and be there and meet needs, uh, but also, you know, give the discipline and work towards self-sufficiency economically, um, while not detaching. And still having the connection and the support, so it, it's not easy. <laughs> um, but th- there are some principles that I think um, white folks who want to help um, have to learn and have to even study the history and how you even communicate. Um, you know, and I, I've been on a learning curve with some of that, and I just try to get close enough to them so that they feel comfortable even correcting me and saying, mm-hmm. "You really shouldn't say it that way," or. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not considering this. And so you've got to build that trust and not assume you have the answers. Just know you have some things and um, you, you've got to see if, you know, almost let them ask for it and let them, um, you know, you, you're just proposing some things. You're just saying, you know, and just sharing, here's what helped me. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's just taking them to see it. Sometimes they don't want to. They feel uncomfortable in spaces that are predominantly white. They get stared at. 
in restaurants, uh, in churches, uh, taking them to, uh, not here, but some other churches. Um, and it's nothing anybody intends, but just the, the segregation, the, the history of segregation here. And you're just not used to seeing uh, these kids in these places or these kids with uh, an adult white guy. So, you know, we've adjusted to that and it's interesting to hear their comments and they notice it more than I do. Mm. Um, and then when I go to predominantly black uh, venues, um, you know, there's something similar, but I, I, I don't notice it as much anymore. And I, I don't care. I really don't care in some ways about that. So I think God gave me that spirit to be able to go into those places without running away. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And you're mentioning there, without saying it, adaptability, flexibility, a humble spirit, uh, a, a questioning, learning curve, uh, ability, um, and uh, not coming in with, with presuppositions and, and superiority. Um, Ron, would you give us just, I don't know, maybe a kid or two or three that you would introduce us to and just kind of give us an idea of who they are and what they look like and what life is like for these kids and maybe a little bit of the trajectory of what it's been like. I mean, some of these kids you've been involved with for a decade. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll change the name, but um, I'll tell you about uh, Damon, who uh, we've known for nine years, the whole time we've been at uh, East Chattanooga, and he was uh, elementary school, probably middle elementary school, and he and his sister would uh, rush out to the parking lot every day when I got there to tutor, and they would help me carry my stuff in, and uh, they loved to learn. They were, they were really bright kids uh, who were bored and looking for things to do, so we set up a library. Um, we, we you know did some reading programs, uh, some math programs, and uh, they loved to read, so they would come in and read, and we would talk about history. We had a globe. Um, I was still tutoring some uh, kids at the private schools, and I got to bring in some of them. I tutored a Korean student at Macaulay um, and brought him in, and they just loved hearing about his, his culture, the education system there. He taught them some words. And so I like kind of making those connections, bringing mm. together people who would never you know, have that connection. But uh, Damon, uh, just he loved learning, he excelled, he was the top reader at his elementary school and his middle school. Um, and he has this just sort of Teflon uh, resistance to peer pressure. Um, he's different from his older siblings, um, he's different than most of his peers at school, and he just doesn't care. And he's got this smile, um, you know, it's not defiance, it, it's really just oh, well, I'm doing something else. <laughs> and uh, people tell him, you know, they've always affirmed him, and that's been great. They tell him, you're going to be successful. You know, you've got a great outlook. You're out. He's outgoing. He's, he's not, a, you know, someone who's shy. But he just he connects with people, with adults. He connects across culturally. They lived in a, uh, he, they moved around a lot. The family did. And he um, was in a neighborhood with some uh, lower-income white uh, kids his age. So he really kind of bonded with them. So, he likes country music. He likes to go fishing and cross country motorcycle riding and work on cars and things like that. Uh, he's not disconnected from his culture, but he's just a unique 
young man and he um, he was on track to graduate from high school this year. Um, tough, tough year with the COVID and the remote learning uh, for so many kids at all levels. Mm-hmm. Our college freshmen, it was just tough to mm-hmm. not be on campus your first semester. Oh, yeah. um, and so we've got to, we're working hard to get them back on track, but at every level. So in high school, um, and his siblings all got separated. Uh, the two older ones are grown now, and he and his sister and his mom are in different locations now, and he's staying with relatives pretty far from everybody else and not even close to his school. So it was really challenging to get the help he needed to keep the connections strong. And um, he, he kind of fell behind there, and, and he did, wound up not graduating with the class. He had changed schools and didn't have a lot of close friends at this school, so that was kind of a good and a bad thing. Uh, but he just really kind of was giving up there at the end, and they gave him some extra time in the summer, kind of an alternative track to finish his credits. And he just he got more and more discouraged. And I would allow him to come to our office to do his work, to, so there were no distractions. Um, but he would just get distracted on, on some, uh, you know, his phone or you know, other things he was thinking about. And so uh, he thought he had finished and we found out, I found out today that he did not finish and can't get his diploma. Mm-hmm. And they gave him two deadlines and school's already started. So he'll have to get his GED, the, one of the ones I least expected. Mm-hmm. But he, he loves the Lord and he, he's, he's just an awesome, awesome young man. I took him to a another church that's more liturgical and they did a, a music concert that was pretty classical and you know the choir performed and then the the congregation sang some it was kind of th- that kind of interchange and this was toward the end of school and he just I knew he was burdened about some other things and he just sat and cried through the whole service um, and s- sang every word of every song even if it was just the choir but they had a program with all the words and he sang every song and it was God's grace and God's mercy and God's kindness and it was just Ooh. hitting him and he mm. he just cried and he's a big guy he played football <laughs> and he's brilliant and he's got this great personality um, but he, he's kind of a I don't care if anybody sees me <laughs> I need to cry so I'm going to cry for him yeah oh that's so precious yeah that's that's beautiful and I how many of those stories could you tell if you had to guess a million. A million. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Whew, God bless you. God bless you. That's just so beautiful. Um, anything else you would want the listening audience to know? Just, I mean, if, if, if they kind of had an inkling that they might want to get involved with something like this or, you know, something that you could tell them that would just encourage or inspire them. I would say um, to uh, to go public with your faith, and um, I'm convinced that Christians won't evangelize until they are connected with public spaces. It's where uh, Christians and non-Christians come together for common activities, and so it could be the rec centers. I think they provide some unique opportunities for people to get out of their isolation and we talk about the disconnection and the um, you know the the isolation people felt during COVID and even before that we've splintered as a society and we don't even know our neighbors Um, we maybe know our own family and maybe our church family 
but go into these spaces. Don't be intimidated. Um, it's not as hostile to Christianity as you would think. We're, we're in a, the most Bible-minded city in the country, and many of the staff members of these centers and the schools, the public schools, um, there's a lot of opportunity to do ministry and to not have to be very covert about it. So, you know, if your gifts are painting, there's places to paint. If your gifts are uh, transportation, you like to ride, try, drive, excuse me, uh, you, you can be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be a big intimidating thing. But you know, a pastor told me once, it's better to evangelize wrong or poorly than not evangelize at all. And a lot of us have really just gotten away from evangelism. I've, I've seen a movement, I was, uh, you know, Baptist in my young years where we were very pro, you know, get out and do the beach ministry and door-to-door uh, -door knocking and kind of thing. And then we kind of went to a relational model, um, I would say, as a, as a church universal. And then, you know, it, it feels like there's a an absence of it in a lot of circles. So I just do want us to encourage if, if anybody out there listening wants to get involved in practical, real-time ways, there's a huge need, right? Yeah. Thanks for giving us that. Any parting words? I don't think so. I'm just grateful to know you and your heart uh, for the kids. And I really thank you and your uh, small group um, that has me and some of the guys I work with uh, up once a month for a cookout at your house and just some, uh, you know, games and fun time and prayer. Um, that's something I've longed for is for families um, here and in different churches to bring these kids in and treat them like family. Uh, we don't need this rigid division between covenant kids and community kids. I was drawn to faith through a church that treated me as family first. They didn't give me false uh, assurance that I was saved. They, they said, you're a sinner, you need Christ, but we're not going to wait <laughs> until you uh, are born again to let you sense the welcome mm. and, and the, um, you have a place, you, you, uh, you know, your family, you know, we're, we're your family, so we got to bust that out, and you've done that, you've taken kids into your home, um, and just beyond that, just trying to include people who, who have a hard time feeling included. So thank you for that and mm. for letting me come today. It is such an extreme honor. And I, I know I have learned more through the process than I've given away. And it has been an incredible blessing. So Ron, thank you for your passion, your vision, for imparting all this to us today. And folks, if you want to get involved, how would they do that, Ron? How do they look you up and find you? I guess my cell phone uh, is exploding most of the day, but I'll fit, <laughs> fit you in somewhere. Uh, there. Or maybe a, a Facebook app yeah, or something uh, like that. Every Valley has a Facebook uh, page, and we have a website with a contact page. Um, you can fill out. It's every-valley.org. Um, and I'll give you my numbers, 423-760-1943. Those are the two main ways, or just bump into me at New City Fellowship, and we'll get you connected. Awesome. Ron, thanks for being with us. Blessings. Thanks.